Are we on? Is it working? Yeah. Boom. Okay. What is it again? <laughs> Welcome to Surviving Society with Shanto and Tiso. Towards a more sociable sociology. Welcome back to Surviving Society. You are joined with Chantal and Tiso and a very special guest, Bakita. Hi, Bakita. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for having me. We are, we've just been talking about actually, really excited to have Bakita on this episode because Bakita is one of our original fans. <laughs> she has been listening to us and tweeting us since 2017, since we started. Um, so it's really exciting to have her on the podcast. Bakita is a artist, poet, activist, writer, <laughs> academic. <laughs> all the titles, all the titles. And I am, I am personally a big fan of Bakita as well because she writes amazing blog posts on doing the work. Doing the work is doing the stuff, both writing about the stuff but doing the stuff on the ground as well. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I find it at times that it get really gets on top of me and I feel like I can't breathe sometimes. So Bakita, we'll put her blog in the episode guide, but writes amazingly about how we have to look after ourselves when we're doing this sort of work. But Bakita, like to be involved in actually doing, most people talk about it, mm. but don't get involved, man. <laughs> I, no, I'm no different, man. You mm. talk the talk, but rarely walk the walk. It's a big thing. So, Bakita, can you tell us a bit about your career so far, what you've been focused on? I'd say my career so far is the main piece of work I do is around research. So everything I do around research is to do with people living with HIV and the experiences of people living with HIV, whether it's access to, to treatment. Most of the time it's focused on access to treatment, actually. Um, and I'm working on a project that's looking at how people living with HIV share information about themselves online um, when it, and how different factors might affect them. So whether it's like sharing to community professionals, whether it's to individuals and how stigma, whether internalised or external, plays a part in that. And I'm also a social scientist on this pilot project, so it's about youth trial boards. So it's really looking at how to get the youth voice into clinical trials. The buzzword is kind of like meaningful engagement, but something that is hopefully a robust structure where the people who are making decisions are going to take young people seriously. And the way that we're trying to see how this can be done is through having youth trial boards where they also have young people, that is, young people living with HIV, are getting skilled up on how to understand research that's put forward to ethics committees and then say, oh, this isn't how it won't work for young people. You keep forgetting this bit about our experience. Take it back. Hopefully they feel confident enough to be like, take it back. So, yeah. That's amazing. Mm. That's amazing. And I feel like it draws to one of their things, one of our sort of themes of this season where we're talking about thinking about young people and how we, we need to incorporate them more within our research and the way we think about the world. Mm. I think... So when I'm thinking of this research and I'm thinking of what you what you do, I think there's like there's two different worlds that you kind of collide against. So you're talking about the social world, mm. about their experiences, but they have a disease which were treated mm. by the natural sciences, and therein lies an issue. Because I might want to tell you about my experiences, mm. but I'm looking at it from as an objective test subject. Mm. So I'm not looking at you as an individual. I'm looking at the disease 
and how I can cure that disease within that cohort. Mm, yeah. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a very difficult thing to kind of tease out because social scientists, as social scientists, we're interested in shades of grey and what's going on. But as a scientist, it's, it's either right or wrong. It's black and white. For sure. Well, at the moment, there's no like, there's no cure for HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more about looking at how to treat HIV virus and like manage the condition. But yeah, definitely right. I think so. I'm I'm a poet as well, and a lot of the things that I concentrate on in regards to HIV and then HIV advocacy just generally is about seeing beyond the numbers. So like the virus load numbers, the CD4 numbers, which is linked to our immune system and what keeps us well. And actually needing to see any person, but obviously within the specific context of living with HIV as a whole human being. Because one of the challenges is, is that there are all of these targets, there are these goals, the international ones, the the national ones as well as like kind of like clinician and patient goals as well which really drill down on like the numbers because numbers are easy to measure so I do get it in a sense but I still push back on it in that actually the most marginalized people in our society are more likely to be impacted by HIV so if you're not looking at the context beyond the numbers then actually treating this condition managing HIV and preventing HIV infections and transmission is going to be less effective if you're not seeing a whole person. I think that's important about introducing that kind of level of reflexivity into the natural mm. sciences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not their training. Mm. So you remember, they're trained to be a certain way. Just yeah. like we're trained to be this way, mm. they've trained to be that way. So it's about trying to get them to understand numbers are people, effectively. And th- these people, who, like I said, the more, the more, the t- the more marginalised you tend to be, the more at risk you tend to be and so how do you reach these people in a way that's meaningful to them and also to your research have you seen good practice amongst the researchers that are more quants based have you seen anything that sort of warrants like a sense of like okay maybe we're developing this sort of care in a way that has the most marginalized at the core of its Mm. focus have you seen that I think a model of like good practice is where it's it kind of brings in co-production in some sort of sense it's like a very broad term but I think the way I would make it like a specific example is where there's peer research or there's like community community supported research I think that's really effective because you can have somebody as part of the research team or support the group to lead on their own research, which I would advocate for more, and actually them bringing in their lived experience will mean that just like the simplest things but can be massive barriers, like the time of day to hold something, whether you need to offer childcare, like the simple yeah. things, but then also like the big things about what are the questions that should be asked, like what's actually going to be beneficial to this population, like they have that the the inside knowledge and I think like going into what you were saying about objectivity I think it's not just an HIV thing I think it's like a general research thing that often it's seen like if you have the lived experience then you won't have the objectivity and then there's the question marks over the the quality of the research but actually for me I would say it's the opposite if you have the lived experience and then also this skill because just because you have a lived experience doesn't mean you can just do research (coughs) But having a lived experience doesn't mean that you cannot do research. Yeah. And that's the key thing. I think from an academic point of view, especially in anything like the sciences, 
especially the science, natural sciences, sorry, and in our social sciences as well, the idea of being biased mm. or, or, and, or having that subjectivity in there. Even though we know objectivity is a myth, the idea that your research is tainted by that lessens it in the eyes of the academic community. So when, you, when it comes down to scrutiny, when it comes to the peer review, you open yourself up for that kind of criticism. Mm. And as a researcher on a personal level, mm. as an academic, you're trying to avoid that. Mm. You will try to, if that means not speaking to people, you won't. That's interesting to me because like, I've been doing different research in different shapes and forms like for a little while, let's say like maybe a couple of years, but it's only since February that I've actually been involved in a research project where it involves academics. And that's a ho- it's like a very different like experience because there are certain things that need to be ticked, ticked off. Ticked off. If, it, it's that, a gra- if it's got a grant, you yeah, have to do yeah. these various yeah. things. And sometimes it creates a little bit of a... You forget that you're dealing with um, yeah. human beings, yeah. definitely, because there's, there's pressures, there's, t- yeah, as you say, tick boxing, yeah, mm-hmm. but still it's... it's the, I've worked on a research project as well, and I definitely... Like, there's a a deadline to what you're doing as well like time mm. adds to that yeah, yeah it's really and that's why I was saying like because in terms of say for example like because um, you were asking me about like good practice there's recently that a report came out about the experiences of women and HIV so whether or not they're HIV positive or not but it was a UK wide report and the first report on women and HIV specifically gendered and it came out in 20, 2018 whatever um, yeah in the UK the first like women wow. in the UK report, yeah. And that was a collaboration with Terence Higgins Trust, a national HIV charity, and Sophia's Forum, like women's specific HIV charity. And I felt like that was that's a good example of a collaboration in that sense because because of the insights that Sophia Forum had, they were able to bring that in and they were the peer researchers working on the project. So yeah, I think I think it is doable, but there are a lot of things that still need to be managed, like how seriously the peer research or the community-led researchers are going to be taken by whether it's academics or bigger organisations, like what's done to to support them through that process because there's a way in which they might be held accountable by their communities that an academic coming in and having the opportunity to go away again doesn't have to necessarily deal with. Mm. If you're interviewing people that you know, and that you will see again after the research is done, <clears throat> there, there are things, there's extra support that I feel is needed for a peer researcher or community-led researcher. I think if you go back to basics, I think you just need to reframe what is research. Mm. I think that's the question. If you reframe what is research and you have to put it in a certain context, if you're reframing that question, you'll start bringing different types of people. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to start from the very beginning. What is research? Mm. Who's it for? And who, what do people, what am I trying to do and who's it affecting? Yeah. And where are we looking for that research? Yeah. Because there is like the statistics on the research that involves women, considering that HIV positive people, 50% globally are women, the stats on women research participants is like shocking. It's really bad. So then I feel like one, there needs to be a shake up in terms of practice, like you were saying, like reflection, but then also a willingness to look beyond like those official journals and sites mm. for knowledge and also knowing that not no one person holds knowledge and how we value mm-hmm. different types of knowledge depending on who is like who's, rubber stamped it. Yeah, like, who's created who's it, who's created it, it, who says it and these things are important. Yeah. These are 
epistemological problems that need to be resolved and that we'd never resolve them. <clears throat> like I said, the, the, the issue is, one of the main issues, the idea, the myth of objectivity, like it doesn't exist, but still we maintain that myth. So like, I think we're dispassionate, but we're not, we've never been. So for example, I must have read there, I think we like, in 2016, I can't remember how many percentage of doctors still think black people have a higher pain mm-hmm. threshold. Mm-hmm. They still think black people can take more pain. Oh, 2016. So this idea, this idea of objectivity like in the natural sciences is a myth. You see race, you see gender, you see poverty, all those things you see. And these people tend to be in medical things. You're coming from a, a moneyed background usually because you have to have money to go to medical school. Yeah. So these things matter. Mm. So we need to start asking different questions on what is research, who's conducting this research. And if they conduct it in my community, should I not have a say? I feel like Bakita's kind of like made it really clear what we possibly need to do across all research. It's having someone that is within the community or within the organisation that has the relationship with the in quotation subjects and the participants and also has that connection to the research. So someone that covers both of those grounds. So someone that's got the both lived experience and the... And also being willing to commit and invest time in skilling up that person, that that person may not be ready, like, ready-made. You actually might have to invest into developing that person. But you see, or this, 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 this is the, this this is is the pushback. This is the pushback yeah. you know what of academia. Is? You know why? This is it. It involves money. Yeah. And it involves time. Yeah. No, it does not just that. It involves people giving up their privilege. Yeah. It involves... It's shit. Me yeah, sharing yeah, knowledge. Yeah, right? it's share, it's, I don't want to share knowledge. I don't want to share knowledge, my money, or my time with or you. Or I would rather give that opportunity to someone who's a sim- similar, my similar to me. My people. My yeah. people. And this is how it rolls, isn't it? But we know this. The change has to become... Because we know people who are in that environment, they're not going to, di- well, rarely do they want to do that. So it always comes from us. The heavy lifting comes from the people who are being studied. So historically, this is what I've always seen. So when it comes to civil rights, it wasn't white people pushing for it. It's what we did the heavy lifting. Slavery, mm. we did the heavy lifting. Women's, women looking for votes, women did the heavy lifting. Mm. So it becomes from the communities to do the heavy lifting, to get these people to take notice. Mm. It's not right, but that's what happens. It's going to have to happen. And I, I think this is sort of a... Um an interdisciplinary thing as well. I think this comes mm. out of the natural sciences. I think we see it very often in social sciences. I think, T, we're really lucky that we've been around sociologists that are willing to not yeah. only mentor us, but teach us the way of the road. But that is so... Re- the, the more I get into academia, the more I realise the people that have, have been helping us, yeah. it's, re- it's rare. But the idea, the idea we know, that like on the most basic level, knowledge is power, isn't it? Mm. So if I, if I start sharing with you, I'm thinking, right, well, like, I've just bring it, brought this person in. I don't even know this person. This person could take my job. But how... It could move, it could move next how, door next to me. How, <laughs> I can't like, have that. that mentality is so, like, it's... Like, the nicest people, you'll see them show, like, mm. indicators of, like, oh, what? But they might, but they might sh- steal my job. But what about my position? Like you see that yeah. from like the people that you like will uh, respect and think, yeah. Anyway, this... I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's a natural thing, but the idea that the idea of sharing is not a natural impulse. Some people are natural sharers. Some people are just selfish. The ones that you said that have taken you under their wings mm. and like mentored you. Mm. What? Why do you think that is? Honestly, good people, obviously, mm. but. N- have an understanding that they don't hold all the knowledge. Yeah. That they obviously being mentored and sponsored by people that have got more privilege than me, 
has been, yeah, it's been integral to where I am now. Mm. But what I know that they saw in me was something that was valuable. Mm. Um, and it, it's something that was valuable, but also something that they were willing to invest time in. Mm-hmm. They, they, which... see, they see you as valuable, but also they don't, they don't understand. They're not owners of knowledge. Yeah. None of us are owners of knowledge. We are just like purveyors that we, it will pass on to us. But mm. I don't want to hold on to this thing. No, they won't. No, they won't. Mm. The insights you, they can get from you are going to be something they, they could never get. Because they're them, they're not you. Mm. So you bring your own unique thing to it. But there is an issue when you get, when you become, get older, more entrenched. You're in a system. You tend to be conservative of a small C. You don't really like change. So what happens then? I'm flipping this back to the people that you possibly, well, not the people in general, but the sector that you've been doing research in mm. and the subject. Like you've got people that have. Uh, are they met medically trained? Any any of these people or that you've yeah. worked? So there there will be some. It depends on the project. So I'm also the chair of a global network. So a, a global network of young people living with HIV. So depending on like whatever hat I'm wearing, could be working with social scientists, biomedics, mm. um, like clinicians just a, a range a range of people like designers like a real range broad range of people so it's like you've got to tell john the clinician right john <laughs> you are great john you've done really well but there's some gaps in what you've been doing will you change and i'm like well i've got all these degrees <laughs> i spent all this time <laughs> I've got, and, and, like, and I think it's because of who are you to tell me? Like, who are you, especially if, you're, yeah. if I'm older and you're younger, I'm like, who are you to tell me? And this is, this is what you come up against. And I, I've seen it in different walks of life in my experience. If I've gone into and have to tell older people what to do, mm. they're like, who are you, blood? And I'm like, mm. what do you mean? Yeah. And then imagine me, like, I'm young. I look younger than I am. Yeah. And, and you're, I'm a black woman. And you're a black woman. And it's just like, this is long. This they're like, is so they're long. like that. These conversations oh, God, are long. I'd like, I'd love to. I, I could spend <laughs> the whole podcast. Talking, you're talking and they're like that. They go to their mate, are you mad? Are you, are you mad? Are you seeing this? I could honestly do a whole podcast about the issues with looking younger. Like, I know that it, it, we're, we're lucky to like look uh, youthful, but people... They you, don't take you seriously. They don't take you seriously. No, but, but it, that's because there's, no, there's a premium on, on experience. And there's, mm. a, there's no premium on youth because they're thinking to yourself, in practice, when you tell kids, you think, what do kids know? Mm. And they, they, in, a spa, in, a, in a field where people are uh, based on expertise, they'd be like, well, mm. I'm an expert mm. and I've spent years doing this. No, mm. no, no. So what I'm saying, I agree with that, mm. definitely. But my different point is that people look at me and don't think that I've done the things that I've done because I look younger. Yeah. I think that's what, you, what you, exactly you're saying as well. Because, but even, yeah. even as, like, as a, like... I've been, I've been, I've been getting over myself. When I see someone younger, you just assume because they're young. What do you know? Mm. Because you might, you might be, you might be technically uh, a genius, but lived experience kind of alters your perception and stuff, and how you would deal with stuff. So you, you always think to yourself, "Well, this person's younger. How do have they tempered what they know with life experience?" Mm. Because that's important. Like, so I might know a lot. You might know more than me, even. Mm. But my my the knowledge I have. It's tried and tested in the field. I've made mistakes. You've made no mistakes, man. Mm. Oh, that's an assumption, though. No, no, because, but because like the, the young people that I. But in, ter- in terms of in terms of percentages and chances, mm. I've I've made probably made lots more. You might have made mm. big ones, but I've mm. made because I've lived longer, mm. done what you've done longer. It's not an assumption. It's just probability numbers. Yeah. So I've been in this field, and so you might have been in it for two years. I've been in it for twenty. 
But I think for me, it's when, within the context in which I'm working within, that to me is of no significance. Because if a research project is about the experiences of young people, or you, you keep doing research, but there's no one that's under 30 <coughs> involved in that research, then it's, but then maybe that, it, the experience of the older person is actually blocking them from being able uh, to- 100%, really 100%. And, and this is exactly the problem we have with like knife crime. They talk about mm -hmm. knife crime, but never consult or speak to young exactly. people. But we don't value their what they say because they're young, mm. and you think, well, what do they know? And mm. that's that is wrong. Mm. But this is the how do you come? How do you combat that? Because old people, that's what happens. Mm. They're like that. See, you have to say the face you're pulling because people can't <laughs> see you. Like if you're pulling a face, your like, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but you yeah, mic drop face. Yeah, 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 That face, that face, that face. Do I think things are possibly getting better? I don't know. Some days I think, yeah, something. I, in terms of just talking, like, abstractly about, like, um, uh, people that have been in industries or sectors longer listening to um, younger people. Do I think things are getting better? Mm. Do I think if you, t if you tell people, but this is maybe outside of higher education, if you tell people there's possible capital to be gained in listening to people <laughs> other than themselves, then I think you're much more likely to... 100%. Um, That's true. ...get, yeah... Yeah, I wasn't asking. Have you got any stats on HIV AIDS in terms of like the number of people infected in the UK or mm. and mm. where we, where we are we winning? Are we losing? I don't I don't know if it's give me speaking those terms, but yeah, no problem. So in terms of HIV and AIDS, like they're very. So maybe I should like start with what they are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, because, so, yeah. Can you do a yes. little like genealogy for like yeah. a little mini? Like, little history, like, little, little background. Little, little backgrounds. Okay, yeah. So HIV is the human immunodeficiency virus. Basically, what that means is it's a virus that affects the immune system if it's left untreated, yeah? So there are different ways that somebody might become um, infected with HIV, there are, and it's present in bodily fluids, but the bodily fluids that it can be transmitted through are breast milk, blood, semen, not sperm, importantly, so the fluid around the sperm, not the sperm itself, huh. um, vaginal fluids, and then rectal fluids, so the fluid up the bum. Mm. Um, so if left untreated, virus can impact the immune system, person can start feeling sick, and then basically more susceptible to getting ill from like the common cold, and it takes a little bit longer to heal from it. Yeah, just things like that, really. Um, but if the virus is treated with, like, antiretrovirals, that's what it's called, medication that tackles HIV, then the virus isn't cured, but it is, like, managed in the blood. So the virus is not copying itself, and therefore it's not affecting the immune system. So somebody can live but healthily. And also the added bonuses as well is that then that person can't transmit HIV sexually as well. So there are, there are loads of added benefits to the individual and then beyond as well. Now, AIDS is, is different in itself in that if the HIV virus, I spoke about it specifically within having medication. So if a person does not have access to medication, then the virus affects the immune system and what can happen is that there are a combination of different illnesses that a person can now become more susceptible to and that once there's a collection of certain infections, so 
like say pneumonia for one, but it's never just one thing in isolation, it's a combination, then they might be said to have AIDS. In the UK specifically, they refer to it as late diagnosis HIV or advanced HIV. Um, but globally, the, the term AIDS is still used. There's, there's a lot of like politics around whether the term should be used, but globally it is still used. Um, and that just means that a person's immune system is compromised more. Um, but just because a person has AIDS or ad advanced HIV, depending on how you describe it, doesn't mean that they can't get back to the stage where the virus is managed. And I think a lot of people don't really realise that. If you have the interventions medically um, in time, you can actually get get over or treat those collections of, of infections and illnesses that would be diagnosis AIDS. So in terms of some of the stats, so at the moment there are about just over 100,000 people in the UK living with HIV. So for context, there's just shy of 40 million people worldwide living with HIV. Um, and of the 100,000, just over 100,000 in the UK, um, about 8,500, the last time I checked, don't know about their HIV status, um, which is... Obviously, there are still more people to reach, but in terms of like the, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as winning or losing, but there are more people who are finding out about their HIV status. The percentage of people who don't know has smaller. gotten a lot smaller. So okay. it shows that something is working in terms of interventions, but those eight and a half thousand are more likely to be more marginalised. They're more likely to come from um, an ethnic minority background, they're more likely to identify as LGBTQ, they're more likely to be women, they're more likely to be migrants, they're more likely to be poorer. There are loads of like, HIV really impacts the most vulnerable within our society, regardless of whichever country or society that you're in, um, which for me makes it even more important that researchers need to reflect and work really closely with communities when designing their research because otherwise people being left. So these marginalised people, like for even things that we take for granted, so like um, questionnaires and stuff like that, these things are normally online. Mm -hmm. The assumption everyone's got access to the internet yeah. is an assumption. For sure. And so even how, how do you reach these people? They tend to be marginalised, they tend to be um, more closed off groups, so they're not really open. Well, that's the perception. That's the sorry. That's the off. no. That's the perception. I wouldn't say they're closed off. So, because that sounds a bit too much, like hard to reach, and that phrase really irks me. So honestly, yeah, the, the perception. The people that are doing the research yeah. are yeah. the hard to reach ones. Yeah. So the perception. Yeah. If I'm going to go out to the community, the perception mm. is they don't want to talk to me. That's the perception. Mm. So if I want to talk to, I don't know, um, for example, the opioid epidemic in America. It tends to be one particular community, and this community, like HIV, is quite rampant in that community because they're sharing needles and stuff like that. Mm. Not many people. There's only one guy I know that I've seen that he's out there doing that research and doing the work, mm. and do it. he's got a needle exchange. But no other group, no other government agency goes there. So the question is, well, why? Do these? Do the government think these people won't take their help, or is it willful neglect? Or these, like I said, these marginalised groups, for whatever reason, they are kind of outside that remit. It's only a few people who are grassroots that will actually mm. do stuff. And they don't have the funding or the, or bit of the numbers, the resources to cope with that. So I don't know about that specific example because that's not familiar to me, but I would say that it's not, it's not about people being outside of the remit. Mm. I wouldn't say that any institution would be like, 
trans people outside of my room when it comes to HIV because it would be like yeah, I don't, it I, would be a, I, a scandal yeah, no one will say but that what, officially but what I would say is is that if we're talking about like questionnaires mm. it's even something as what may be considered as simple but could be a make or break of how you have written something down so the accessibility in terms of tech yeah but then also the language that you're using if you have said something that is effectively trans exclusionary when you're asking about someone's gender you have already sent a message that this research is not for me because even the language that you're using does not bear me in mind <coughs> so i think in terms of inaccessibility it cuts through so many things it presents itself in so many ways from if it's just online if the language in itself is legible considering and like easy to understand language considering people's like own literacy rates but then also if somebody can understand what's being written and actually from what you've written there the way in which you've asked me about my gender means that you're not thinking about me as a trans person or as a non-binary person mm -hmm. Mm. so it's it's complex so and that's what I'm trying to say. I suppose I don't really say it properly. So in trying to reach those people, it's about having those people that you're, you kind of, you're in kind of decent relationship with these people that you understand. So, mm -hmm. for example, it's in one of the books I'm reading at the moment, um, uh, White Frigidity. She said white people don't have any meaningful relationships or they don't really have that many meaningful relationships with people of colour. Mm. And so if you don't have those relationships, how am I supposed to create research? Because these people tend to create the research that's going to reflect that. Mm. And it's trying to build those bridges. Yeah, and it's like, go to organisations. So I'm not saying that an institution should go to an individual because I don't think it's appropriate to then be like, how should we make this research better? Mm. But I'm saying go to an organisation because there, there are organisations for trans and non-binary people. Mm -hmm. There are organisations that specifically think about HIV and women. There are organisations that specifically think about black people and HIV, like things like that. So go institution to institution. But then what you're saying about they typically tend to be grassroots, then understand the already existing power dynamic when you're trying to establish that relationship, that they will hold a wealth of knowledge but may not have the same amount of resources to commit to the research. So how are you going to support that? One is money. Mm -hmm. Like, actually, don't ask anyone for their free time. Like, pay them if you're asking them to be, like, a co-designer or whatever it is. And then also patience in, in terms of time. It might not be money. It might be, actually, within this organisation, we're working really hard, but there are only three of us. Your organisation has 250 people. Like, even that in itself, like, be patient with us <coughs> when you're approaching us. You might have certain deadlines, but if you're serious about this work, then you might have to adjust some of your deadlines. <coughs> so I, th I think there's a, there's a lot... There's a lot that can be done. And then also being willing to be challenged and like have that pushback. Mm -hmm. um, because I find a lot of the stuff that I do, like I'm constantly, I guess it's just the, the life of an activist to be honest, but I'm constantly pushing back. And don't always assume that it's a group of people and individual that needs to be changed. Like actually are you also assessing like how you're kind of doing your practice and how that's impacting whether or not people feel comfortable in your space like they want to do the research like are you even asking the right questions is this question even gonna when you find the answer is it even gonna help the community or this group of people or is it just that you're gonna get 
an extra few letters after your name and then you're going to be like peace mm. and we won't even and you won't even tell us the feedback <laughs> like you won't even tell us does what that, happens that happens, that happens? yeah oh, it happens God. a lot it happens yeah, a I lot just, it happens I've a made lot. it I guess, I've made it I guess that's what I was thinking in terms of um good practice mm. having those two relationships like them listening to criticism can you see anyone getting better at that sort of thing yeah I can I can I think it would because I, I would never want to to like make it come across like I just feel like oh it's all hopeless because I don't like I do feel like there are more people who are are listening to feedback and I also have to say I think HIV advocacy and the space generally whether people call themselves activists or not I think is actually quite pioneering in terms of how patients are involved in things so whether it's like patient like community reps and being involved in like advisory boards and things like that um and I think people do listen for the most part but there, there's always more work to be done mm. there's always more work to be done and it and it comes into like the relationships that we were talking about before um sometimes it simply become it comes into who is the person speaking whether it's them and their reputation or like who is afforded more time to speak as well. But I think generally things are getting better. I think for me, it's just when people are, like if we're talking about marginalized groups or groups with less power, like at the different points that they're, allowed is the wrong word, but they're, they're invited to come and speak. Yeah. Um, so it might be about oh come and tell us about support and peer support I'm thinking specifically within HIV context but we won't necessarily bring you in to talk about policy say and there are all of these different aspects yeah. that, that impact an individual mm. but actually which layers are you bringing in that lived experience and those what groups? do I value you to talk yeah, about exactly. or to talk to at yeah. a different okay yeah. yeah I can see how that would be a possible um, ha like if these larger organisations are doing more um, to be um, invited and collabor colla collaboration with more grassroots organisations, I can see that being something that they would yeah. inevitably do. And it's still a, it's still a problem. Yeah. Like, yeah. it still, still is a problem. And But I think, see, in social sciences, we value the respondent's voice. So mm -hmm. the respondent's voice should mm -hmm. run through my research because that's what... And, on top of that, I'm trying to be reflexive and understand how my my presence affects that voice mm. or voices. Is that necessary a concern of someone in the natural sciences? Is that I'm not, am I interested in hearing their voice throughout my research when normally I'm looking at my research is slightly different. I'm putting in that voice, draw emphasis to this point. Really doesn't really affect because I'm looking at viral loads and how it affects X cohort. I'm not really looking at that voice. But I guess, I guess. Is that true? I don't know. I guess, I'm asking the question. It's a question. Because because it's not. We're not just talking like you've said. Mentioned a number of different professions that you deal with. Yeah. So there are sort of policy people as well. That can be just as yeah. annoying yeah. when it comes to talking about objectivity, and they're not necessarily fixated on um, yeah the medicine in that sense. Yeah. So yeah, I can imagine that being it's quite very complex. Yeah. yeah, it's very complex. Mm. But it's it's um. I think, you know what it is as well? I feel like there is like this raising of consciousness. So one of the reasons why I 
came to Goldsmiths to study was because I wanted to be more critical about the work I was doing. And I felt like I could maybe get that from a different like theoretical sense. So one of the things that I've learned is that there's, there's one thing doing the work, but then being able to contextualize it and understand it within a bigger like background, you just kind of like learn that on the job. It's a raising of consciousness that goes beyond simple theory. It's kind of like, who, so say for example, I mentioned that being a black woman and being young and kind of the challenges there, but I also work a lot internationally and having a British voice also affords me a lot of, like people listen to me when they hit, so there's a kind of dismissal that I get when you look at the, the, when people look at me and then when they hear me talk and then they're like, Mm. Oh, you're one of those oh. ones. Oh, yeah, so we can talk like, to you. So yeah. it's like, so for me, it's like, it's all well and good, like, critiquing, and it definitely needs to happen, like, certain systems and, like, certain practices, but then also own reflection as well. Yeah, reflection. Actually, time him. to, like, step aside and move aside, and it's somebody else that's meant to talk and, like, advocating for other groups as well. So it's just, but it's all, it's all very complex just because of, all of the overlapping things that, especially within the context of HIV, who is more likely to be affected, but then who is also more likely to deliver services and where medicine is coming from. And then there's that disconnect. Yeah, um, the the kind know. of interse intersectionality of it always mad. That's it's very yeah, complex. It's, like, it's very, especially in regards to like HIV, mm -hmm. definitely. But I, I suppose it's... It's having a person that can kind of provide links to all those. Mm. That can, and it's a job in itself. Mm. So I don't know what kind of person that is, but a person that can speak to. It's Paquita. Basically, oh. yeah. <laughs> but speak to speak to speak to the speak to the professional, speak yeah. to institutions, but also speak yeah. that can also speak to those marginalised people. Make sure that they feel that they are included in mm. this research, yeah. not just as a participant, but as mm. a co-author of this piece of research, almost. For sure. I think for me, it's like it's like two things. It's the doing the work around self-advocacy, mm. but then also doing the work to challenge practices. Because I, so one of the things that really concerns me actually around the work that is often funded is that it concentrates on changing like mindsets or behaviours of individuals and communities. Right. As opposed to, so... Your group is late to get diagnosed, which means you have more health ramifications or consequences. So let's increase your awareness, change your behaviour so that you get diagnosed quicker, say, for example, without actually bearing in mind. But when this type of person does go to a healthcare institution, what is their experience? Like, how many times have they tried to talk to somebody but they've either been dismissed or loads of things have been assumed by them. Mm. So for me, I think that's the thing that's really important to me. Self-advocacy, yes, like autonomy and empowerment, of course, of groups and individuals, but then also this like holding of ac accountability to institutions as well, like whatever they are, whether they are charities, mm -hmm. charities too, because often there's the talk of, you know, we're talking about healthcare professionals, we're talking about, but no, charities too, any institution, because the, the bigger you get and the more professionalised you get, everyone's at risk of doing the same thing. But don't you find that what happens normally is 
the onus is always put back on the individual. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you need to change. You need to change. And mm-hmm. policies we focus around changing individuals' behaviour. So you, you need to either to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, even though they don't really take a sample of the concept, but that's always the onus. The individual is responsible. Mm-hmm. The institution or the structures rarely take responsibility to change. And if they do, change is hard because once you've raised it, you're a troublemaker. Mm-hmm. So... And this is this is the problem we find in all, not just in HIV and across the board. It's, yeah, it's a general yeah. thing. It's definitely a general thing, but it needs to be done regardless. It's like it's really funny, like you saying that because I this it's and it's really funny actually just talking to you generally because this podcast helped me realize and help me make sense of my course like just to be honest my, my master's course I was just like oh my god I'm so confused and then I was like listening to this like oh my god it makes so much more sense but in terms of like I really learned that from this podcast actually in terms of that that lack of contextualizing and like, I think in a previous time that you were referring to it as like neoliberalism <laughs> like that focus on the individual and stuff as opposed to understanding the context but it's it's key, especially if it's no secret in the HIV sector. Like, nobody would be surprised by the statements of um, black people are disproportionately more affected, women are disproportionately more affected, um, poorer people are disproportionately more affected. So if you're seeing marginalised groups that are disproportionately more affected by something, that means there's a structural and a societal issue. Like, it's not an individual. As much as, obviously, I know and we know mm. that certain actions and whatever else are individualised, but if you use sense, I would call it common yeah. sense, like, you should be able to see, you no, know, there's an actual wider issue here beyond what people are or are not doing. But then this has been the problem. So rarely do people see the systemic thing because if they're part of it, it's normalised for them. Yeah. So then they start looking at, they take individual actions and abstract them. So an, an individual might be black, a black woman who is, tra- who is trans, and they say, well, it's, that's that particular person. Yeah. And they abstract that and apply it to the whole group. Yeah. And this has been a consistent thing across the board. So how it's about looking, so in, that, in this context, about looking at getting the kind of health agencies that are involved, getting the policymakers that are involved, and trying to get them to think about my experience and being reflective of their own experience and their own being affects all this but that introspection is rare mm. I think what's quite interesting about your point there Bakita and then your response Tiso is that I guess in our talking over the past few years on the podcast what we've wanted to do yes yeah, contextualize people's experiences but also talk about from the perspectives of our communities or where we're from by us, basically. Mm -hmm. But what I feel like we're leading to more and what I think we can definitely be better on in terms of subjects that we don't know as much about and take um, HIV advocacy as well, um, as as example, is that introspection and the people that have the most power within the structure looking at themselves. So I think what's great about what Bakita um, has done in her work is by saying, look, these are individuals, they're people. Like, what are you doing to make them feel comfortable? Mm. What are you doing as an organisation to assess how your practices are affecting the marginalised? Don't focus. I want you to recognise that they are marginalised and these are the reasons why that are based on structures. But what can we do? How can I understand? How can I push myself to think 
to think. To think means to be uncomfortable. Yes, yeah. this is what I mean. So I think this covers so much of what we spoke yeah, no, about it, over the past it does, few years. But, but to make you feel uncomfortable, like that's a big thing for people because mm. it involves change and change makes people feel uncomfortable. Because change comes to questions of power and but access and all these kind of things yeah. that, you, that go on on a, such a subconscious level. It's, I, it's assumed it's normal for me. Mm. But if I'm thinking, oh, I have to give my job to a woman or I have to speak to a woman, it might make me feel uncomfortable. Whereas, well, I've got the power at the moment. And like I said, most people don't even think in those terms. In terms they've got the power. But it's so normalised. Mm. Like, for example, if you, in this Me Too movement, like the idea that men have to be speak to women, like, what? Like, they, they're, even, they seem so confused. Like, why? Yeah, do I, do I, think, I have to question my well, behaviour? I, I think there's two things that run alongside of this idea of introspection. And that's patriarchy being... Mm-hmm. Fundamental to structures in society, but also white supremacy. Yeah, those patriarchal and white supremacist norms cut across both men and women. I'd yeah, say yeah. as well. They hold, hold them. Obviously, mainly men, but I think women do as well. Yeah, um, sure. But it's almost like we need across the board, like training on social justice. Like it, it, that's all I could. That's the thing that I'm thinking at the moment. Like, how do we? Social justice means looking at. But it, the it's, privilege. But first, and you, have to, at you have to understand and admit that you're socialized in a certain way. Mm. People are, people don't realize that they're socialized, mm. and socialization happens across across the board. Mm. I have to so I have to admit, as a man, the privileges I get from being a man. Mm. But most people would never recognize that. You don't even question that. Mm. And when when, it, when I have questioned it, you feel uncomfortable. Mm. You feel a bit weird, and you start thinking, well, how how am I meant to behave? And you start mm. questioning those norms. So it's easier to ignore those those things and just carry on as normal. Even though you, you pay lip service, so yeah, I acknowledge it, I do this. No, you don't. No. Are we tra- it's not changing yeah. any sort yeah, it's of behaviour. Exactly, it's not changing. Yeah, 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 you yeah. admit to it. You'll and be you, like, oh, I know, I acknowledge that. You can play, you, you can play and you, you, get, you develop, a, there's a whole language that develops around it and a whole kind of a conversation. So whether you're talking about race or gender, you can say, oh, but I've got a black friend. Mm. It's not me, and you bring it down to an individual level because do people do that. Do people do that? You know, I was going to oh, say it's God. really interesting that you are we say chatting that. shit? By the way, no, is no, this, no, no, is this no. relevant to think, no, yeah, yeah. no, 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 no? You're not okay. chatting shit at all. And I think um, I feel like it's really interesting, like because because when you were saying about do you feel th- like things have gotten better, and then what you're, you've just said as well is that I'm really conscious now of being in a time where I don't know how to word it that it doesn't sound so, weird but say, like say, being, say what you think. being in a time where my voice is particularly valuable mm. more so than maybe it has been before because I'm a black woman <laughs> so I but I also have to recognize I'm doing different things so I think there's also that aspect of like mm. certain people and organizations in the HIV sector asking me to do stuff because I have a higher profile mm. but I think also there's been so much critique of a certain kind of person with being called out as like being the lived experience of HIV positive people. So typically white men who have sex with men. Mm. So white gay men, white bi men and beyond. And I think there is now a currency that black women have, Mm. but it doesn't often, it doesn't go beyond tokenism. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Because it's like, Oh yeah, we've got, we've got her out today to talk about her experiences 
but there was n not necessarily any of me like involved in even the planning of the yeah. event. So this is what this is. Uh, I totally agree, Bakita, and it's something that I sometimes feel there's capital that there's we have in this. Yeah, there's something going on. There's the something going on in this moment that we yeah. have capital. People yeah. are listening to us. They want us to come talk to things. They yeah. want to come do this. And but you're right. It can only go to a certain place it can't i think some to be fair on some people i think some people will take it beyond tokenism but i think the majority of the time it is let's wheel out this person but, and this is the problem this is what i'm saying so the heavy work the lifting is still being done by the institution the structure is not really changing mm. yeah you're saying stuff and i'm like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a great point yeah yeah <laughs> but then but then when you, when you leave <laughs> Nothing really changes, really. Honestly, like, yeah. I talk... Yeah. That amazing yeah. talk, like, there'll be all of these tweets. Yeah, and, and your... talk was amazing. But again, <laughs> it's, that thing, it's, like that, it's like that same thing. So true. You're, so you're explaining your experience. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're explaining either sexism or racism or whatever you're saying. You're explaining, mm. and I'm going, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> like, you're right, you're right, bang on, you're right. And then when you leave, I'm like, yeah, yeah, she's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah and what? Uh, it's... The, bringing it to my own personal experience in academia like I've gone through a stage in the past year where I'll get like requests to talk at decolonizing panels or whatever like all the time all the time like every other week and I decided about a month ago actually no it's about two weeks ago now yeah two weeks ago quite recently but I was thinking about it for a while that I just won't do unless it's unless it's an organization or a part of a university that I, I know are doing the work, as in actually mm. making change. I won't do them anymore. Mm. I'll, rec I'll recommend other, in particular, black women to if they want to do it, or black men. But um, I, I can't do it anymore because I, it, 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 it. Again, this is sorry. I'm taking it away from the um, HIV lens for for a second. Just in my own like academic work and trying to get the sector to change. Um, I it, it's so much lip service is yeah. happening at the I moment. Think it's all connected. I don't even think you're really okay, taking it yeah. away. I think it's all connected. It's like everyone's riding this like yeah. diversity wave, and it's so it's so. Not, I do think about it in a nice way, like how nice it is seeing people yeah. that represent us and that are from our similar backgrounds. But right, if, if I not to be right, not to kind of put a, a, a damper on it. No, put put a damper on it. But yeah. what I'm trying to say is that. <laughs> They know. The system they knows. Know. Yeah. The system knows. Like, you've got 50 years, let's call it from post-war, you've got 50 years, of, 60 years of research from different people, different voices. So, for example, uh, if we're talking about white fragility, the white people writing better now, they're not the first people to say it. Mm. W.D. Boyce has been saying it years ago. Mm -hmm. So, this research is out there. You know. Mm. You know. So, whenever you've had to change or change has happened, it's because the groups, the marginalised groups have pushed for it, mm. have pushed for this change, uh, lobbied for this change, argued for this change, presented research on this change. But yet, this, those inequalities still persist. So the system needs to have more introspection. So when we're talking about system, it's those groups that run that system need to be willing to look at themselves. And, for the, and what makes it different now in 2019 going forward, we are no longer happy just to pay lip service to this change. I want this change. Mm. So that means if I have to protest, if I have to lobby, but I'm no longer happy for you to pay lip service to this change and say it's going to be okay. No more. But I'm no longer looking to explain racism to you or sexism because you know what it is. Mm. It's well defined. You've passed legislation on it. So you know. And also like, okay, get you to come to your event. Um, mm. And I imagine this is even, it's even harder when you're doing speaking, Bakita, and you have people that ask you questions that are not very nice yeah, and like make you feel marginalised even more and 
yeah, I'm getting my check at the end for being here, but do like, who am I helping? But at the same time, I understand why other people want to do those things and I totally rate it and I want it. It's so great to see people, but uh, like you, Vakita, I'm definitely having a, an internal reflection at the moment as to what I put my face to mm. in terms of um, how we de- decolonize all yeah. these different but like uh, said, sectors. It's, but it's about reframing that, that kind of mindset. So I think it's like Priya was saying, reframing that mythology, changing that narrative, getting to think, well, why did you say that? Mm. And like, You've asked me, I don't know, people stuff like, one of my friends said like about me, have black people got more denser bones? Mm. I'm like, well, why did you say that? Why yeah. did you say? So about yeah. reframing those things, yeah. but on a kind of institutional, not not it's not an individual level, mm. systemically, saying how are you going to change this for people? Like so, those interventions you're, when you're speaking to people, have you thought about have they got access to the internet? Why have you assumed that? Because that's a, that's a massive thing. The assumption that these people can have access to the internet and talk about stuff about your health. Am I going to go to the internet cafe and talk about my health, mm. my sexual preferences, what I, what I do in my private life in the internet cafe where information is mm. sucked up from, from mm. by anyone? You know? yeah. And why have you assumed that that person can go from zone four to zone two for your interview. Oh, exactly. For your semi-structured yeah. interview. Like, why have you made do that they assumption? Not, do they? Oh, I can't. Like, I, can it's, it's, I can't it's even like, imagine some of the stuff yeah, that they... It's, just, it's, it's like really... It's, it's, it's shocking, to be honest. Like, and you can really get a glimpse of like, wow, your life is very different. Like, I can see that because there are certain things that you haven't even thought about. It's not even like you're ignoring them. Like, you have not even thought about them. <laughs> and like I said, it's it's sometimes it's not even from a bad place. Yeah, yeah. It's because they, they, don't, they don't think of it. And if, you, if you're not in that world, why, why would you? Okay, well, this is but where we stop, though. They have to now. Yeah. Of course, of course. It's, and also, 100%. And it's, like, and it's kind of a, what is it that I don't know? Like, always understanding that there are loads of things that they don't know. But when you are, you've been used to being seen as the authority on knowledge, then it's like, I, kn- I know the things that are needed. That are important. In what, in if what I it comes don't know to, it, it's not important yeah, sort of thing, yeah. actually. So what is um, knowledge? I'm saying it comes down to the idea of what is knowledge and who's great. So my knowledge is important. Mm. Street knowledge isn't important yeah. because it's not valued by my peers or it's not going to turn up in the research journal it's not going to push things forward but that's we know that's not true because yeah. the actual practice is different to the yeah. theory the theory is in these kind of like Harold halls where you read books and journals but it's the actual day-to-day yeah that's that's it's, they're linked not, it's not one more important yeah. the other day linked yeah definitely and often what what is like lacking like seriously lacking in the theory is that it's not grounded enough in practice. So as soon as you take that theory, it's like, oh, here are all of the holes because you didn't bother to like talk to mm-hmm. people on the ground. Mm-hmm. So there's just like, for me, it's really important that research and advocacy come together and for, like try and figure out that tension. I think for me, the ideal way is community-led research. Mm-hmm. That That's what I would advocate for, but I know that there are certain challenges around it. But if that's not possible, then interdisciplinary like collaborations. Um, but but you're doing this, babe. You're yeah, doing this. Yeah, I guess you're making yeah. it happen. I, I, <laughs> like, it. You are leading the but way. It's, it's rare to see someone who does theory and the practice, like I said last week, to, mm. to be involved mm. in something, it's rare that people are involved in seeing people. And sometimes seeing your test subject up close, it makes that thing, it makes that thing some people will get become upset because they see how much pain mm. people are in or mm. what that involves. But see, or, when, or when you know your participants, not even like seeing them up close, like you actually know them, like mm-hmm. you saw them last month mm-hmm. and you'll see them again <laughs> next month. <laughs> like, and you'll see them again in a year's yeah, yeah. time. Yeah. And then they'll be like, 
oh, so, you know, have you, like, fixed the world yet? Because you did that research study, and it's like, it's not quite how it works. This is a long game. Obviously, why did you say that about me? You've made me look a dickhead. Why did you say that? You get me? (laughs) Okay, so this was inspired by HIV activists and people living with HIV under the theme of Leave No One Behind. And I wonder if you can guess which line rubbed up a UK senior civil servant the wrong way. It's called Numbers Game, Our Silence Won't Protect Us. It's more than just numbers for us. As you count the viral lows, the tiny cells, we count birthdays, diagnosis, anniversaries, loved ones, moments, how we'll make it through the day. This life, running through our veins, goes beyond loads, beyond statistics, percentages. If you only see 90% of us, where does it leave the 10, 10, 10? It's greater than quarterly and annually, more than overseas occasions. This is daily. It's more than just events for us. Do you only count the ones who look a certain way, sound a certain way, move a certain kind of way, pray a certain type of way, were born in a certain kind of place? Love in a restricted way, even when they don't think your way. Global gags silencing, separating us from ourselves, halting our movement left behind. Legislation lets us slip away. We are pushed aside by policy, laws leave us behind. Laws that strangle us, that break us, keeping us out of your systems, funding streams that don't reach us. You speak in a language that we don't understand and you don't try to learn our rhythms. Scrutinising our behaviour, overlooking how you have backed us into a corner and when you do let us in, we must fold into ourselves and crush. It's more than just speeches to us. Meet us where we are, legislations that let us breathe, policies that protect the person, laws that fight for our lives. We have traveled days to swallow. We are more than pills a day. We deserve dignity on our third line to life. Instead of holding up numbers, hold up people. We will enlighten you. You have a lot to learn from us. You've been listening to Survive in Society with Tiso, Chantel and Bakita. Thank you so much for joining us, Bakita. Thank you. We'll be back next week. Please don't forget to rate us and subscribe. Also, we have another episode for our Patreon supporters, uh, the T's and C's coming up. Thank you again for everyone that supports the podcast. As I say every week, your kind donations go towards our production costs and enabling us to pay activists and to reach more people as well. So thank you. Thank you.